Welcome in and welcome aboard another episode of a show to be named later. Thanks so much for stopping by. Whether you find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Radio.com, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, or if you follow me on Twitter at SethGoldberg17 or like my Facebook page, Seth Goldberg Sports. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for tuning in. A uh, fun show for you today. Really enjoyed talking with our guest, Sam Borden, who uh, writes for ESPN.com, a senior writer for ESPN and uh, a longtime foreign sports correspondent for the New York Times. So some really good stuff. He wrote an awesome piece about Justin Thomas that dropped late last week. Uh, a piece about Darko Milicic from like three years ago that resurfaced and is a whole lot of fun. And then we got into some FIFA stuff at the end. So some great conversation with Sam coming up. And then I wanted to get into Christian McCaffrey's contract. Uh, the Panthers signed him to an extension. They pay him big money. What does it mean? Is it smart? So we'll do that a little bit on the back end. But first, here's ESPN's Sam Borden on a show to be named later. All right, now here on a show to be named later, as promised, we bring in ESPN senior writer Sam Borden to uh, talk about a whole bunch of different things. He wrote this great Darko Milicic piece a couple of years back that got kind of revived in the coronavirus lull, also a Justin Thomas piece. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for coming on. How are you? Uh, I'm doing, you know, as well as uh, anybody, I guess. Uh, stuck at home uh, like everybody and uh, just trying to, you know, fill the earth the best I can. So I, as mentioned, uh, love these two pieces that, that kind of came up this week. Let's start with the, the newer one, the Justin Thomas one. Um, I, I want to start here. Who I, I guess if you had to guess, who's the most famous of Justin Thomas's famous friends? Because that was amazing to me. Yeah, he definitely has a pretty deep, uh, you know, phone book contact list. Sure. Uh, I don't know that he he gave me the entire list. I guess it'd probably come down to something between Michael Jordan and Justin Timberlake, maybe in terms of like global. I mean, it feels a like you can't do better than Jordan, um, and they're definitely pretty close. They live nearby uh, to each other, and Thomas plays a lot of golf with Jordan. Um, he recently he took me actually when I was visiting with him. Um, last month for um, kind of like a, a morning over at Jordan's new golf club that he built um, about 20 minutes outside of Jupiter, Florida. And uh, it's a pretty pretty fascinating place to, to be, and it's pretty clear that two of them uh, have gotten close over the years. Yeah, it's it's an amazing uh, amazing story to kind of follow along with it, that he's friends with Jordan and and uh, Timberlake and, and all of these incredible athletes. Um, and, and it's not that he isn't there at this point. He you know as you outlined in the piece, he's done a, a ton of winning, uh, but he hasn't won at the major level yet, and he hasn't had the success in those majors. Um, you know, do do you feel like that's something? Um, that that really weighs on him because I, I know as you mentioned in the piece he, he's closer to 30 than he is to 20 at this point and still ha hasn't quite gotten that done yeah I think it's something that is pretty clearly uh, a factor on his mind and a big part of the pressure he feels as a professional golfer I think you know there's no doubt that he's a successful player that he's a talented player but Golf is one of those sorts where, despite the fact that it's kind of on, you know, all the time, there really are very few tournaments that give golfers the opportunity 
to make themselves known to a mainstream wider audience. And like, yeah, he's won one major. Even within that major, I mean, he won the PGA Championship, which is probably sort of the, the fourth out of the four majors in terms of notoriety uh, or, you know, like the kind of thing that will result in a real buzz. And I think it's something that weighs on him. You know, he sees what his, you know, close friends, what Jordan Spieth has been able to do and the success uh, and fame that he's found from, you know, his success in the majors and Rory McIlroy, obviously. Like, I think he looks at these... Um, sort of contemporaries, Brooks Kepka, who works out at the same gym that he does in Jupiter. Like, these guys have had success in the tournaments that count the most. And Thomas, to this point, hasn't. And I think there's no doubt that when he goes to bed each night, that's something that, that weighs on him pretty heavily. You know, I, I think it's really interesting, and I'm, I'm curious kind of what, what your thoughts are, whether it's Justin Thomas who, you know, ha- has won that one major but is looking for more, or somebody like Ricky Fowler who, who hasn't won that major yet and seems like he's the only one out of that kind of group of golfers who hasn't gotten his. Um, you know, do, do you get the feeling that maybe these cancellations or postponements uh, maybe hit a little bit harder because these guys are theoretically in their prime and, you know, missing out on a on an open championship, and, and who knows if the U.S. Open and, and the PGA and the Masters actually get played in the fall? Yeah, for sure. It's a real question, and it's one that I asked Justin when we FaceTimed, um, I guess it was about a week and a half ago now. Uh, you know, he was pretty um, reserved, battery calm about that premise. Uh, I think at this point, knowing that tournaments are supposed to come back at some point in June, at least that's what the PGA Tour has talked about, you know, there's some hope that maybe it won't be that long a, uh, a layoff. And Justin said to me, hey, look, I just a couple of months last year with a wrist injury. Like, if it's a couple of months, I think it's one thing. If it ends up stretching a lot longer than that, if the majors are canceled, if the Ryder Cup doesn't happen, then I think that will start to hit home. These guys only get so many opportunities to make an impact uh, in one of those tournaments. And so every time one of those comes off the board, it's an opportunity missed. Sam, another uh, one of your pieces that I, I wanted to talk to you about, as mentioned, was, was the Darko Milicic piece. And I, I'm so happy that this came back around uh, during kind of this lull in, in the sports uh, calendar and in the, in the sports time. Um, first off, uh, did, did you get the feeling, and, and I think you kind, of, you, you kind of hinted at this in the piece, um, was Darko just one of those guys who didn't love basketball but was just kind of the big kid and they gave him a ball and, and he just kind of rolled with it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the it was very clear, uh, right from media, even more as we kind of got to know her a little better, that basketball to him was more of a, a job than a passion. Um, you know, he grew up in uh, Serbia in a time when there were just perpetual ethnic conflicts, wars, NATO bombings, and he was looking for a way out of there, and basketball became that potential lifeline. And so, yeah, he didn't love the game. He didn't love practicing, but it was the thing that he was the best at, and it represented opportunity for him to find a better life. And so that's why he stuck with it. But I think when he got to America and faced challenges that come with you know, trying to uh, get used to life in the NBA and get used to life in the United States, because it wasn't a passion for him, it was harder for him to fight through those challenges. 
One of the things that I, I thought was really interesting was what was written about Larry Brown and, and that relationship. And, and I thought about it um, with the recent comments that Carmelo Anthony made about, well, if I got drafted by the Pistons, uh, we would have won multiple championships and I would have multiple rings. Um, you know, it didn't seem like Larry Brown really wanted any rookie to be playing on that team. They were veteran related. They would go on to win a championship. Do you think that any other rookie could have succeeded with Larry Brown? Or, or do you think it was really like, you know, Darko's personality didn't mesh with him, and, and that's why it didn't work. You know, it's an interesting question to consider. I think that there's no doubt Larry Brown is an old-school coach, was an old-school coach, and had a pretty fully formed team at that time, so his patience level for a new player was, you know, not high. That said, I think part of what made it difficult for Darko and Larry to connect is that Darko didn't want to play in the way that Larry Brown imagined him fitting in. He didn't want to be a traditional big man. He didn't want to play down low. And so I guess if Carmelo had been drafted and came in and played maybe like the typical three or, you know, three, four that he would go on to become, Larry Brown might have been more welcoming to that because presumably he would have imagined Carmelo filling that role as well. Although, you know, as I wrote it, as you said, like that team was pretty stacked. There wasn't a lot of room for any new pieces to come in and make a big impact, I think. Yeah, I mean, they were pretty good, and then they added Rasheed Wallace in the middle of that year, so they were pretty well formed. Uh, you know, I, I was curious as well, it's right off the top of your, your piece, but um, his use of the word bust is really interesting. Did, did that strike you? It did, 100%. Um, I remember going uh, on the airplane, flying over to Serbia, and really thinking hard about, okay, what are some like words that I can use when I talk to, to Darko so that I don't say bust to him, because I kind of thought he'd be really sensitive about that. Um, and so, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, like, all right, I can use, like, disappointment or, like, struggle or whatever, things like that. And when I met him and he kind of just came out with it and was sort of like, hey, this isn't going to be only about how I was a huge bust, right? Like, in the first 30 seconds of meeting him, it really put me at ease and, and uh, was sort of a pleasant surprise because it took a lot of the pressure off me in terms of feeling like I had to tiptoe around this label. It was a label that he was, like, very familiar with and very comfortable talking about in his own, you know, course of the conversation. And so it made the interview process, frankly, like, a lot easier than I'd expected. When when you you know described his his house his estate the farm, um, did did that did that kind of life surprise you? Because I I know you mentioned in the piece how you know the percentage of players that go broke and uh, Darko is very much not broke. Uh, did did his kind of setup back home surprise you when you got there? You know, I can't say that it surprised me. I mean, I have um, been fortunate to sort of, you know, do stories in a lot of different places around the world. And one of the things that quickly becomes clear when you sort of get out of that space is that, you know, American sports money goes a long way when you don't live in America. Um, and so I think once I knew that he was living in Novi Sad, um, I imagined that he was going to be living pretty well, uh, having pocketed, you know, over $15 million. So I can't say that I was particularly surprised. It's always a little bit of a jarring juxtaposition when you sit in a in one of these, you know, sort of more modest hometowns like Novi Sad is. And, you know, Darko's place is, is very clearly, you know, like the, the best house for a lot of miles around. Um, you know, it's massive, got, you know, a gable around it and a guest house and an indoor pool and an outdoor pool and a basketball court and like all types of, you know, amenities that you wouldn't see really anywhere else in Novi Sad or really, you know, most places in Serbia. 
So I don't know that I was surprised by it, but I do always find it to be kind of a, a funny juxtaposition when I go visit an athlete who you know made a lot of money uh, and now sort of returned to his roots and is living clearly a lot better than most of the people in that hometown. And Sam, the last topic that I wanted to get to with you is FIFA, because you've been all over the whole FIFA corruption scandal for a while. And, you know, we saw another kind of round of indictments and charges and allegations coming out recently. And I'm just kind of curious what your reaction is when you see now, you know, the TV executives getting involved and more definitive proof that, you know, yeah, there was just corruption at kind of every level of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that it's like a shock. I think what became very clear in 2015 when those arrests happened was that this was a story that touched really every layer of world soccer. And it's a story that I think anybody that spent any time around global soccer knew was there under the surface, and not even that deep under the surface. You know, the corruption within global sport, uh, the Olympics for sure, and FIFA before, was one of those things that just it needed to come out, and it did. And I think the idea that somehow the American television rights were going to be untouched, it seemed completely unbelievable at the time. And so, you know, when I saw the news this week about those charges, it was really just sort of a confirmation of something that I think most people in the business really assume to be true anyway. You know, the unfortunate thing is that so much of the corruption that existed, including these TV rights in America, you know, the the damage is done. Obviously, these people are going to face criminal charges, and in many cases, many of them are, are in prison already. But the the TV rights um, behind those crooked contracts have been awarded. Uh, you know, the, the World Cup in Qatar is going to happen in Qatar. Um, and I think that that's the sad thing about it is that, you know, for all of the all of the work that's been done to sort of unearth the corruption, the truth is that these big deals are going to stand and there isn't a whole lot that anybody can do about it now. Yeah, I guess that it, that is the other question to ask. There isn't anything you can do about it, right? I mean, you you can't take the World Cup away from Qatar. They've already said that it's it's not going to, and and Fox is still going to have the World Cup rights here in the states. I mean, look, I work for ESPN. It would be amazing if uh, all of a sudden, you know, there there was an opportunity for other networks to rebid for those World Cups. But I think, you know, realistically speaking, that's probably not going to happen. And yeah, I mean. The the biggest downside, uh, I think, is that the while the corruption in many cases has been uncovered, the you know the the root cause of it, the results of it, uh, are going to stand, and that's unfortunate. Sam, I really appreciate the time and and the insight and perspective. Uh, thanks again for coming on, and uh, hope we can do it again sometime down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the kind words about the work, and uh, hope you're staying safe and healthy. So great stuff from Sam Borden from ESPN. Uh, seriously, go read those pieces. They were awesome. And uh, Sam's work on FIFA has has been incredible over the years. He, he was kind of in the hotel like as those guys were being arrested five years ago. So he, he was all over that. Uh, as mentioned off the top, I do want to get to a little bit about Christian McCaffrey re-signing with the Panthers, what this contract extension looks like and, and means moving forward because I I do think that it's really interesting. I do think that it's 
intriguing to look at because you're talking about a running back, a great running back, the best running back in the league, a running back that's doing things that that nobody has done before. Who's put up receiving and rushing numbers that that are just unmatched in the history of the game over the course of a single season. And yet I'm still not sure it's a smart contract. And you can argue that he should be getting $16 million a year and then some, and he's going to be getting $16 million a year. But I don't know that it makes sense at the end of the day. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey is worth that money. Christian McCaffrey uh, is is well worth it. He's a fantastic player. He's an MVP candidate. He put up, uh, you know, 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving last year. He's incredible. But with that being said, do you pay a running back that much money? Because in my opinion, you don't. In my opinion, you don't pay your running back $16 million a year. Because we've seen what happens. You pay Todd Gurley, and two years later, he's washed up getting cut and signing a nothing contract with the Atlanta Falcons just to prove it for one year. You pay Ezekiel Elliott, and you don't have the money to pay your quarterback, Dak Prescott, who now wants that big money deal. You pay the running back at the detriment of paying others. Now, if you're the Carolina Panthers, you're in a different situation, maybe, because you don't have others that need to be taken care of right now. You don't have others that need to be paid. You don't have a Cam Newton on the books who's going to get big money as a quarterback. You just don't have that at this point. So maybe that's why they decided to go ahead and do it. Maybe they decided to go ahead and pay Christian McCaffrey because they lost Luke Keekley this offseason. They cut Cam Newton this offseason, and they need to retain that face of the franchise. And I get it. You need that guy. You need somebody to sell to fans. You need somebody to stick out there and say, hey, look, we've got somebody. We've got somebody here who can be your guy, whose jerseys you can go buy, who you can be excited of and proud of to be rooting for. I understand that aspect of it. But just on a basic level, I don't believe in paying a running back that much money because they are replaceable. They are replaceable. You can find people to put up similar numbers. Now, you're not going to find somebody who's going to put up 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving like Christian McCaffrey does. But you can find somebody to run for 1,000 yards and put up, you know, comparable numbers to a really good running back. Now, where I think this is going to be interesting, and we'll talk about this coming up a little bit later in the week. We're going to have Dan Duggan of The Athletic on. Where I find it interesting, as a Giants fan, is what does this mean moving forward now for Saquon Barkley? Because the Giants already made the mistake. The Giants already made the mistake of drafting a running back second overall. They took him second overall. They got a great player. I've never denied that. However, are they going to pay him and keep him, or are they going to let him walk? And if they're going to pay him and keep him, Saquon Barkley, you can bet, even though he's not better than Christian McCaffrey, 
He's going to walk into the room and say, that's what I want. I want more than that $16 million a year because that's the top of the market. Now, you can argue over whether Saquon Barkley should or shouldn't get it, and the answer is he probably shouldn't, but that's what he's going to ask for. So how does it shape the Giants moving forward? Because you know what? The year after Saquon Barkley is eligible for an extension, Daniel Jones will be eligible for an extension. And what if he puts together two seasons and wants you know, a, a, an extension coming off of two good years? What happens when you've got to pay Sterling Shepard? What happens when you finally, maybe, hopefully find a defensive player that can be good? And see, that's where you start running into these issues. That's where you start running into the problems of how do you pay everybody? How do you pay the running back along with the quarterback, along with the defensive end that you need to go win a title? And at the end of the day, the least important position out of the three of those is the running back. The most easily replaceable position out of the most important positions on the field, the ones that you are willing and likely to give big money to, the most easily replaceable one is the running back. So whether you're the Carolina Panthers thinking about paying Christian McCaffrey a whole bunch of money, which they ultimately did, or you're the New York Giants considering paying Saquon Barkley a whole bunch of money, still up in the air, I think that that is something you've got to keep into consideration. Is he this much more worth it than the next guy, than the replacement, than fill in the blank? Because if you've got Christian McCaffrey, and he's a 1,000-yard receiver and a 1,000-yard rusher. That's awesome. What it do for you last year? Right? What it do for you last year? Didn't get you a whole bunch of wins. Didn't do you all that well in the standings. Got your coach fired. Where are you being led by Christian McCaffrey? Sitting at 5-11. and 11, Set to have a high pick in the first round and a new head coach, and a quarterback that got cut, and a franchise face, linebacker, retiring. What are you with that running back? Now, I understand why Carolina did it. I said it. They cut their face of the franchise quarterback. They they lost their face of the franchise linebacker to retirement. I get it. You have to keep somebody. You have to show a commitment. You have to give somebody to the fans to show hey here's your guy go buy his jersey go be you know go support this guy i understand why the move was made i just don't know that in 3 years you're going to be looking at that contract saying that was smart that was a smart move to go give christian mccaffrey all that money because just as likely you're going to be looking at that contract saying yeah could have found somebody to fill that role. He wouldn't have been as good, but we could have found somebody to fill that role and maybe plugged a couple other pieces on our roster. All right, so that's going to do it for us today here on a show to be named later. Thanks again to Sam Borden from ESPN for the great conversation earlier. Don't forget to check out his pieces 
on both Justin Thomas and Darko Milicic. Uh, fun reads, both of them. Fun reads, interesting reads, and uh, interesting people that they were written about. Thank you to you for finding us, for listening to us, for hanging out uh, today here on a show to be named later. Don't forget, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Radio.com, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Follow me on Twitter at SethGoldberg17 or on Facebook, Seth Goldberg Sports. We will be talking to you again real soon here on a show to be named later. Thanks for stopping by.